I'm Brax McCoy, and this is the Brax McCoy Show. On this episode, I sit down with my good friend Joe Kent and talk about his run for Congress in Washington. Some of the we hit on some of the big cultural issues of our day. Talk about the current the potential currency inflation that uh, I think a lot of us are worried might be coming. What we can do about it, and a lot about how much rhinos suck. So if you're into all that, sit through it. And if you want to support the show, which I hope you do. Please get on whatever you're actually just pause it right now. Jump on your app, wherever you're playing it through, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or whatever, and leave us a rating and a review. I'm trying to get 30 on this first one because it will boost us in the algorithm, but it'd be great to get even more. So if you want to help, please do that. And you should want to help because you're a good person. So thank y'all. Enjoy Joe Kent. This is Brax McCoy. I'm here with Joe Kent. Uh, Joe, why are you running for Congress in Washington? I'm getting right into it. So, hey, I am running for Congress in Washington State to push back on pretty much everything the left is trying to do right now. So my district is the third congressional district, district and we are crammed right in between failing Democrat-led cities that uh, are trying to pretty much come in and take over our uh, our key terrain that connects their uh, their cities. So, Right now, the left is, as, as you probably mentioned before, they're moving in lockstep, I think, on the, the cultural front, the media front. They have control of those institutions. They have control of the government now. We saw what they did with the cooperation of big tech and the media in the 2020 election. And I really feel like this, this moment that we're in right now is kind of a sink or swim moment for traditional American values and really for the fate of our republic. So I didn't want to, you know, sit back and watch all that happen. I didn't really know exactly how I wanted to get involved. And then my congresswoman, who I voted for, who in theory is a Republican, she was always kind of a weak Republican, went in and cast her vote to impeach President Trump before any of the facts of January 6th were released. And then she volunteered to be like the Democrat star witness during the the sham impeachment trial. Um, she claimed to have like third hand information or something like that. So. <laughs> That, that made it pretty clear to me that I was like, well, there's my sign. I never wanted to be a politician, but I couldn't think of a, a clearer sign um, to get me, you know, kind of off the bench and, and, and involved once again. Awesome. We'd be lucky to have you. I, you know, that brings me up uh, that um, Washington Post article. You remember that, that you, of course, they had to put out that uh, retraction. Maybe it was two weeks ago or something. Yep. Was she, was that what she was uh, referring to when she volunteered to uh, be a witness? Yeah, I mean, she claimed that she overheard a conversation between uh, Kevin McCarthy and President Trump, and then she hasn't really answered any direct questions about it. She claimed that she could hear what Trump was saying, but McCarthy said that 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 didn't happen. So it gets pretty foggy on what 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 really went on. But I mean, you can you can tell you know the incentive system set up by the media, especially in D.C. You know, if you're a Republican that's willing to say something against President Trump, you are one cleansed of all your sins of being a Republican temporarily, and then you're also given a, a greater platform to kind of you know propel you into your next your next chapter or whatever that that kind of is. So she seemed very opportunistic to me. That was kind of my take. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on, and it makes you a thing that I wonder about all the time when I'm out working, trying to I kind of think about this stuff while I'm working. Um. People have gotten after me on Twitter before, and it's always, you know, unfortunately, it's like some woke person, a lot of times from the veteran community, and they'll say, you know, well, all you ever do is bag on the left. And I'm like, man, 
I don't know. You must not be following me because I feel like all I do is bag on Republicans on there. I, I hardly ever talk about the left because I look at it as I know what the left are. I know what they're doing. I hate that, but you guys are supposed to be on my team and you never are, you know, or or very few of you are. Yeah. I mean, the, within it, with, uh, with friends like these, I guess is the statement. Yeah. So I, that's, I mean, that's another reason why, even though I never really intended on joining, you know, the political fray, uh, in this capacity, it just, it, it felt right because, you know, the catalyst was obviously the way that she voted, but she's just been a terrible Republican for a while now. I mean, she, she, didn't support the border wall, voted with the Democrats to pull away funding from President Trump's border wall. But then just a week ago, she was trying to raise funds on say no to Joe Biden's, you know, open borders. And then a week later, she she votes for the amnesty bill. So she's just obviously running this con. And it's like, OK, with Republicans like this, man, we, we just got to get rid of them. Otherwise, we're not going to have a you know a party or we're not going to have an actual opposition party for one. And then we're just not going to stand a chance. So I agree with you. I'm all about turning our ire on the Republican establishment because the left the left's going to do what the left's going to do. We, we, we all know that. Totally. So speaking of that, um, have you seen that the Biden administration is now proposing shipping illegal immigrants from the southern border to the Canadian border? I did, man. I saw that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's breathtaking that the pace the Biden administration is moving on. So like, I guess now they figured that since they lost so much ground in the Rio Grande Valley um, and they, they just can't absorb that many illegal immigrants, they're just going to start shipping them in. To the north and just kind of surround the country i guess is the is the plan because i guess if you if you look at it that way you can get even more illegal immigrants in which is good for all the corporations that haven't been affected by covid lockdowns um who are just going to hire illegals as opposed to paying americans and then you know it's also good for the amnesty bills and the pathways to citizenship that they're proposing to totally take over you know the electoral college yeah and, and let me ask you this i don't know if you guys see this in uh, washington or not but the there's a lot of big farms that mm-hmm. will sort of quietly support this kind of stuff. And they're always, you know, large corporate farms. And it's because they, you know, they know that they're going to have people to exploit. Whereas the small family ranch, um, like our little farm, you know, it, it, it affects us and doesn't, you know, it helps them and hurts us essentially. Um, and we're the voting block. And so we're like, we're, the, we make up the voting block, but we're the small, donor you know we're, we're sort of the meaningless person to the, whichever republican candidate is and yeah. here in idaho we have you know our republican representatives are just absolute garbage so far as i'm concerned they're just neocon you know democrats of the 90s at very best um and so i wonder like in washington is this what you're seeing too is the small yeah, guy we hates are. It, the big guy loves it yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, all of our agricultural industry and then the timber industry, which has been gutted by federal regulation, but all these, these, um, I'd say staples of our economy, the the big corporate donors there, a lot of them, they get really quiet on the immigration issue. And then they will support usually with the coordination of their labor unions, too, which is weird, you know, Democrats uh, heavily. So you got to look at who stands to gain and then they won't sound off when, you know, Biden's proposing $15 minimum wages because they know they're never going to have to pay it because they're going to, for the most part, hire two or three illegals and then, you know, uh, be able to get them out of town um, as seasonal workers and not ever have to pay W2 employees 15 bucks an hour. They, they know that that's all just a talking point. So, I mean, I, I think everything that the left is trying to do right now really targets the working and middle class and even the upper middle class. So anybody who's just a, 
you know, I think a hardworking American right now, the transfer of wealth that we're seeing that benefits the, the you know, the technocrats and the bureaucrats is, is, is really um, being driven hard by the left right now. And they're not even being shy about it between immigration, HR1, the tax raises that Biden said were only going to target corporations. But then when they reveal the plan, it's like, well, by corporations, I meant, you know, if you and your wife make $400,000 a year, like it, they're just not even hiding it anymore. Absolutely. So I have another question. I was talking to a mutual friend of ours and you know this guy in real life. And we were discussing everything that's going on with the farm bill and just sort of the future of uh, the economic or the economic future of America, rather. And all of these sort of things came up. But I pointed out that it almost feels as if and I don't want to be the you know, the the exaggeratory guy that's calling everything in the world communism, but it it almost feels as if this, you know, use the word technocrat and it is technocrat, but this technocrat elite is bringing in the principles of com or no, no, some of the ideas of communism without the actual principles like in the ag industry. Well, we saw um, governor, I think it was Cuomo that said, well, anybody can you know, plant a seed and be a farmer or whatever. And that's exactly what, you know, led uh, the Soviets to starve was that sort of mindset, you know, yeah. and it, we're doing that again now. And it's like, well, who cares if everything is aggregated into these giant corporate farms? I mean, at least we're all eating. Right. But it doesn't like that kind of system doesn't last. I mean, think of the last, um, the 2008 uh, economic crisis, some of some firms, you know, financial firms that have been in business for like 150 years went under. Like, if you don't think that can happen to corporate farms, especially if they've, you know, bit off uh, too large of a chunk of the industry, then I think you're out of your mind. And sure, the small guy might be able to gobble some of that up and start to rebuild, but it would be very slow and we would it would hurt for a while you know like the idea of america at least i thought was decentralization as much as possible exactly. here, here we are centralizing everything but we're just doing it under this technocrat elite rather than you know uh sort of nationalizing it for the people or whatever which was another form of technocracy really if we're being honest with ourselves i mean it's i mean i think it's just breathtaking the 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 pace that they're moving and they are using, like you said, the, the general ideas or the, the catchphrases of socialism and communism, because somehow I think because the left infiltrated the cultures and the education system a long time ago, people resonate that resonates with a younger generation who don't fully understand it, probably going back to education because they weren't really, you know, taught the horrors of communism, but really it, it's all being done to give not power to the people. It's being done to give you know, power to a handful of, you know, global corporations, some technocrats, and then of course the bureaucratic class that exists within the beltway. And I mean, if we think guys like Cuomo can run, run the farming industry, because it's as simple as sticking seeds in the ground, as he says, then we're going to starve to death. I mean, we saw like the, when we let the government play fast and loose with like the housing market and, you know, all that, and when it exploded in 2008, like that was pretty bad, but can you imagine that with like, big farms and big agriculture that wouldn't just be people losing their bank accounts that'd be people not getting food for weeks on end so i mean to me just the the absolute scale of what the left is trying to do right now is just it's pretty scary and it's pretty scary they were able to do it and do it so fast and on all the different buttons i think 2020 dropped the veil on how many different buttons the left could push at once i mean mm -hmm. we saw kicking trump off twitter and everything that followed it's just been very eye-opening.
Yeah, I agree. And um, wh- like, what do you think the solution to the the actual getting kicked off Twitter thing is? I mean, I've I've heard people suggest uh, things like a decentralized social media platform that would like link up to all of your accounts or whatever, and people would follow you on that. So if you got banned from say Twitter or Facebook, they would just automatically be linked to your other stuff. So it wouldn't hurt you as much, Um, which I mean, it sounds like a really cool idea, but the problem is, well, what if they just, you know, do what they did to parlor and, you know, go after the source. So like, what, how do we fight this? Do you think? Man, I, I really think we have to get people in government, especially in Congress and the, in the Senate, that are going to have formal hearings, as cliche as it is, and not just not just subpoena you know, Dorsey and Zuckerberg and let them talk circles around them, but actually get into the weeds on how we limit co- corporations' ability to have such control over people's lives. Because the tech... You know the the tech industry right now they're essentially they're, they're the robber barons or they're the, they're the standard oil of our day, mm-hmm. and it's even and it's even more invasive than that because you know when we were writing Section two hundred and thirty or we were coming up with you know the very various laws of the time that these company these corporations are hiding behind I, I don't think anybody had the imagination to imagine imagination to imagine had the ability to imagine how. Um, I guess ubiquitous is the way to put it, that the internet is for all of us. You know, even if you, you think of yourself as somewhat of a Luddite, I mean, like your, your bank accounts are still ones and zeros at the end of the day. Um, so pretty much anybody, if they, if they, you know, draw the ire of a handful of tech people, they can pretty much be deleted from, from life. And so I think that's just too much power for these corporations to have. I think Section 230 re- reform is just the start. Um, but it's got to be deeper than that. We've, we've got to make sure that just a handful of people can't just be like, well, we're going to kick this entire app off the internet and then we're going to completely and totally demonetize you. Because I mean, the, I mean, the next we saw what they did with Trump. We saw what they did with Parler. I don't think it's too far of an exaggeration for them to be like, I don't like what Joe and Braxton are talking about. Let's delete their bank accounts and make it so their their kids don't have health insurance anymore. Like that's that, that's the same press of a button as you know kicking an app off a platform. Well, absolutely. And, and um, there's precedent. I think a lot of Americans don't know this, but, you know, they're, they have done this to people that they did it to Laura Loomer, um, oh, yeah. that Enrique Tario from the Proud Boys, they did it to him. And I'm not like some Proud Boys fan, but I'm just pointing out that they, they have done this already yeah. to people. Yep. It, it's absolutely insane. In fact, this network, um, what Gail and Dave have done is they just went out and bought some servers and said, well, we're just going to we're going to run our own thing. I mean, we're going to put it up everywhere else, but if they try to kick us off, it'll still be alive somewhere. Yeah. It should be great, but I doesn't, it feels like a really good short-term solution and I want it to, to work, yeah. but exactly in the long term and on mass, I mean, the, the average American is not going to, you know, go out and buy servers and set their own stuff up. Um, so I think that your ideas are good and you're right to call them robber barons, because if, if there's ever been a true monopoly in the uh, history of America, I really think it's this, it, it's these, you know, they try to say Twitter and Facebook are competitors, but they're, they're, they're really not competitors. I mean, they're different. Pla- I understand that they're social media networks, but their platforms forms are so different that they're, uh, I mean, they're more like adjacent rather than direct competitors. Does that make sense? And then you've okay. got Facebook owns uh, WhatsApp and Instagram. And, I, you know, I'm 
freaking tech boomer. So I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to pretend to understand the, the ones and zeros of it, but, but they own a huge portion of this. And when they, when, like, like you're saying, when they throw their weight behind a news story, we saw it swing an election. I mean, oh, it yeah. absolutely did. Yeah. And then and now all the direct interference that like Zuckerberg was doing, you know, giving money to all those different organizations um, that were doing, you know, ballot drops and putting in ballot boxes, all that stuff is now just coming to light. Well, probably because they control the entire, the entire media apparatus. So totally. yeah, I, I think we, we have to break these guys up. I mean, there's, there's just no two ways about it. And even if that's going to be ugly and I don't know. There's no one good, you know, everyone says section 230, like it's going to change something. Like I think section 230 would just be the start. I, I think this is some serious work that our elected officials have to do. And they have to, because if they, if, if we, in the, if the government can't take these guys on, then basically nobody can. And that's, that's pretty scary. Absolutely. I totally agree. And so one of the things that I've talked about with this a lot um, is balkanization. And I know that sounds terrible, especially for yeah. a patriotic minded guy, but, uh, I would, a, a friend of mine put it this way and I thought it was smart. He said, rather than a divorce, what we need is like a legal separation, something much closer to the original, uh, federalist intent of the constitution or the, even the, you know, the articles of confederacy even better. But, um, you, there are some counties in Washington and Oregon that have made real steps toward this recently, which I thought was pretty interesting. Have you been following those stories at all? I have been. I have one of the uh, one of the counties that's made the news a little bit. Lewis County in Washington that has Mossy Rock, where the the law enforcement said they weren't going to enforce the uh, our governor's lockdown um, orders. Actually, one of our other counties as well, Clickitat County, had had a, had a sheriff who took a similar stand. Uh, and then same thing. There's been some proposals here that are pretty uh, anti two A, and the sheriff said like we're not enforcing that. So I, I think we're going to see a lot more of that, and I think. Um, and I think the issue is almost a rural versus urban divide, um, that kind of transcends like states. Cause I talked to, I went to CPAC this year for the first time. And I talked to guys that are running for office and, you know, upstate New York, and then guys that are running in Florida. And it's, it, it's almost the same themes, you know, the, the working class base is fired up because everything we just talked about, but then you also have all these, I, I would say the dichotomy is the blue states that are controlled by very activist governors like we have on the West Coast or, or, or a guy like Cuomo. But then you got like at least half, if not more of the state that's very red. And there's, you know, agriculture, um, you know, people making their, their living off the land that kind of just want to be left alone. So I, I, I do think we're going to start seeing it. But the problem is, it's not a clean balkanization. When the Balkans happened, like there was, it was obviously messy because there was some there was bleed over of like where the different populations were, but there was still more well-defined lines there. Whereas in America, it's not like, I mean, the civil war, great, great Mason Dixie line. We fight each other. Like that made sense. Sure. <laughs> but right. now it's like people, people in rural, rural Washington have less in common with people that are a 45 minute drive away from them than they do with the guy that lives 3000 miles away, but he lives in a red district in a blue state too. So it's going to be messy and we're going to have to figure out a way to make make sure that people know that their voices are heard in, in their government otherwise we're going to get disenfranchised and that i mean that I'm, i know i'm moving fast but that ties into vote, election integrity too because i think there's a lot of people that feel disenfranchised right now and that's and i think that leads to a very scary place well i i absolutely agree with you if you if you look at the uh the civil war for example um, you, you know, you can point to tariffs or slavery or any of these other, you know, those are kind of the two main things that people like to talk about what really caused it. But 
if if you really think about it, it was disenfranchisement that really lit the powder keg. You know, uh, Abraham Lincoln yeah. was elected without a single electoral vote from the South. I yeah. mean, so disenfranchisement goes to really ugly places really fast. And I'm afraid, like, if we don't get a hold of ourselves, we're going to be doing the same thing. I mean. Yeah, I mean that, that, that's why the the what we started talking about the Rhino Republicans who are just like oh, we we can't talk about 2020 like let's just let's just go along with the mainstream media's narrative and we'll we'll try and do better next time and and I think like man that's garbage like there's there's questions that need to be answered about 2020 whether people think it was stolen or whatnot but there was obvious discrepancies that if we don't adjudicate there's going to be a ton of people that are like well my vote doesn't matter and then what's the next logical step after well my vote doesn't matter correct people. <laughs> people get violent, man. Like it just, that, that just is what it is, you know? So yeah. I, I think it's something that we, that that's another duty. I think the government is doing a really good job of shirking right now. Like I really like the Clarence Thomas spoke out about it, but the rest of the courts have just been like, Ooh, yeah, I'm going to find a technicality. So I don't have to be the guy that, that addresses that. Like they're cowards. I, <laughs> I know, totally agree. And, and you know. their cowardice, um, you know, ultimately might cost lives, which obviously I and hope then, it doesn't, but it really right. might. And right. I, I like the, the entire party as a whole, like my governor here, uh, little, he just does everything he can to avoid being confrontational with anyone ever. And I can tell you, I talked to my neighbors. They hate the guy. They hate the guy. They, most of these guys, they, they're not like convinced that the election was somehow stolen or anything, but they want answers to like, right. they, they feel like there were questions at the end of it. And you know, like you say, they just shirked those questions and that responsibility to the, the responsibility to answer them. And these guys are pretty upset about it. I mean, I drive up, up the Valley and, you know, there's still Trump flags hanging on uh, ranch gate arches and stuff. And I mean, these are like Uber religious people that didn't even like Trump in 2016, you know, they ended up falling in love with him later on, but you know, so there, there are real people that are pretty dang upset about everything that they're looking at, you know, yeah, I mean, it's the same out here. There's, there's, it's honestly my county or my um, district's pretty diverse geographically, and, and people make their livings in, in different ways. But the the consistent theme I keep hearing from people is, uh, hey, what? How do we know our vo- our our votes counted? Like, was that the last? Was that the first of the first rigged election for the rest of our lives that we're gonna have to face? Or are we actually gonna do something about this? And they're frustrated that no one is actually having these discussions or, or there's, there's few people that are having the discussion. So I, I really think it's something that we have to, we have to address. I mean, people, the events of January 6th were like pretty horrible. I think it was a small group of people that acted violently. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot to go over there, but in general, like, I don't see how you can, you can't act surprised when violence has been incentivized for like six or seven months by one side. And then one day the other side's like, you know what, I'm going to do violence too. Like we we can't have this system where violence is, is, is incentivized. And then we also tell people that like the vote is whatever the TV said it was, and you can't ask any questions or we'll throw you off of social media. Like, yeah. And and for all that to happen and there to be no violence, like the, the, for me, that math just doesn't work out. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm not a condoner of any of that stuff, obviously, but 
the the media the corporate press has relentlessly called that that whole event an insurrection yet there, there was not right. a single gun so far as i know found <laughs> right so still still, still wait for him to find that weapons cache right yeah right yeah it's the worst insurrection ever i mean it's like yeah. got your podium government's mine now you know yeah exactly just... <laughs> right the, the maga shaman got got let in by the by the uh the police and they're like don't trash the place and he's like cool man just some selfies <laughs> yeah right it's, it's just crazy it, meanwhile, yeah. as you allude to, you know, we watched uh, Cities Burn all year. I, I mean, it's just incredible. It, but I've heard people like Cernovich say that the hypocrisy is the point, and I tend to agree. I, I really oh, think yeah. it is. Yes. Yes. So it's cool that you're, you know, you, you see, this is what, in my opinion, this is what we really need. I don't need... At this point, I actually don't even think where this person comes from even matters because this war is a cultural war. And I think if you look at what I'm saying is this is what we need in there in the Republicans. We need someone who's not a boomer and, you know, who's not going to who's not going to wilt under pressure. If you think of look at what AOC did as a freshman congressperson. I mean, granted, she's kind of, you know, annoying yep. and all of this stuff, but she moved the needle in a way that Sanders didn't in 40 years in office. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think it really matters where that person come from. It just matters who that person is. And that's why I'm like behind you so much, because, you know, I thought someone like Crenshaw was going to be the guy, but, you know, I think I kind of overlooked how much he loves these forever wars that I hate, but I thought, well, you know, at least he knows how to use social media. Maybe he'll make a change. But now, you know, and I'm not trying to bag on the guy, but watching him, I'm like, dude, you are you are just becoming rhino Republican, whether you realize it or not. I mean, so when this happens to people like that, and I'm not asking you to talk about anyone specifically, because obviously you're going to have to work with these people and eat lunch with them and stuff. But do you think do you think that they get there? And then so I've done a little bit of work on the Hill, not a lot, not even as much as you, I'm sure, but. Um, do you think it's when they get there, they realize, so is, do they come to a realization or are they like straight up instructed that you've, you will, you know, follow the party line or you're going to be, you know, out on the street, you know, begging for donors. Both man. And, and it's a weird system we have set up to especially Congress. Cause you have to, they run every two years and we're two years out right now. Mine's weird. Cause you know, it's a primary challenge and all that, but they're basically in a constant cycle of asking people for money. I think at least with the Senate, I'm, I'm pro term limits. I think we should have them, but I think two years puts the Congress people in this position where they're constantly having to ask people for money. And so that gives the, the PACs and the donors like so much, I think so much power over Congress, but I think overall it's um, for all the elected officials, I mean, you know, the deal like in, in DC, you know, that you get there and there's a bunch of people, if you have a position of prestige or power, there's a bunch of the people that are waiting for you to fall so they can step into the void. So I think if you get there and you're a smart enough person, you can see pretty clearly that your job is to be on good terms with pretty much everybody. And that just creates that swampy environment where like the best interest of the American people aren't being pursued whatsoever. It's all about go along to get along and make sure you're getting paid um, and make sure that you're making enough money and you're friends with the right people. Cause if you don't, you know, and you take a wrong stand and you're the one that gets canceled or you fall out of good grace with this pack or that pack, like then you're done that. I mean, that's overall why I think <clears throat> we need more guys that guys and girls that necessarily don't want to go, but they know it's the right thing to do. And if they do go and they end up, 
maybe not being able to make enough friends to make it a career, like that's okay. That, that, that district like organically has a deep bench and they can push another good regular person forward to just keep like chipping away at it, you know, because on the conservative side, we're not going to get the media jumping in behind us like they did with AOC to give us the boost, you know? Absolutely. So I, 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 I think it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Um, yeah. And I, I, I just think it's just such a power hungry environment there in DC driven by money. Yeah. And you know, I'm kind of a weirdo with my kids. I don't want them watching any of this communist trash. So they watch, you know, like a lot, like if they watch anything, it's old stuff like Davy Crockett from the fifties and stuff. And there's this one scene uh, where Davy in this one show, Davy Crockett show where he, you know, he gets elected or whatever. And he's given this speech about how garbage this bill is. And if, if any of He's talking about the people in in the the room, obviously. But he says, if any of us who were elected, uh, chosen, and selected to be here by our people were really, really had their best interests at heart, this bill wouldn't even get past our desk, let alone show up for a vote and all this. And I thought, wow, man, that thing was made like you know sixty years ago or whatever. I I don't know what year it was made, but it's made you know roughly a half century ago plus. And the problems were so evident. Uh, at the time that like the average, cause it, it's not just that the writer gets it. The writer has to understand that the person watching will get it too. You know what I mean? So the average person felt this way, you know, half a century ago. And so we're in many ways, we might just be hitting sort of the culmination of that, you know, um, and, and pray that we don't have a flashpoint, I guess, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, that's why I think it's just so critical right now for everybody who, who, who cares about this country to, you know, however they can get off the bench and, you know, let our voices be heard because it's, it's, it's real, you know, like it, the pace that they're, the amount of debt that's hanging over our kid's head. I mean, I think back in Davy Crockett's day, they probably could only put like one bill that did like one thing mm-hmm. on the floor at a time. And nowadays you look at these freaking like the COVID release bill or the omnibus bills they put in that are like 500 pages. You're like, dude, no one knows what's in that. Absolutely. No one knew. Like, I think Massey made them read the last one uh, on the floor and it took, and it took them like four hours to read. And it's like, I'm glad Massey did that. So everybody can see how ridiculous it is, but still, you know, no one, the guy that read it, he read it out loud. Nobody else did. Cause it's like, how much yeah. crap are they cramming in there? That's, you know, really just becomes a, a huge weight hanging over our kids and grandkids, you know, heads. It's insane. It- and absolutely. And you, and you want to know, I think that that stuff's great. I actually like when Massey makes a mockery of stuff. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, the, the one that no one really knows about unless they've participated in it is the farm bill. Um, I've actually sat and helped in, in a, in a room, like for a certain segment of people help draft, like what they wanted in the farm bill. And we were in there for like, you know, I can't remember it was four or six hours. It was a long time. Um, and the vast majority of the stuff that they were going over was not ag related at all because most of these entitlement programs are run through USDA. So like all of the welfare and all of that, and I'm, you know, whatever, but all of the welfare stuff, all the food stamp stuff, every bit of that is in the farm bill every time. And I think most Americans have no idea that they do this, you know, cause then what they do is they add all this stuff that the right, you know, or the conservative right doesn't want into the package that has the stuff that the conservative right voters need. So it sort of pinches them in a, in a way that they have to vote for. And it ends up being, you know, bipartisan, you know? Yeah. I was pretty bummed to see last things last week that the GOP silently had a non-roll call vote to bring in, to bring earmarks back. 
Oh, you know, and, and it's only a handful of them that came out and said they didn't vote for it, like the Freedom Caucus and then Bobert and MTG and a couple of those ones said I didn't vote for it. But then it was just like crickets from the rest of the GOP. And they're like, well, that passed. <laughs> so, great. We, we just brought another mechanism for you guys to add paragraphs and pages of, of billions of dollars where you guys scratch, scratch each other's backs. You know, it's, it's yeah, it's absolutely unbelievable. And eventually it's not just the debt because the debt is a big deal but at this point yeah. you know the debt's like 28 trillion or something um you know it's almost gotten to where that number is so impossible to comprehend that it's it's not even worth talking about because no one yep. no one cares um but the inflation that's going to come from this I, oh, I, yeah. i'm not an economist but there's just no way you can't print money like this and not end up um with you know but let me give you a, a personal example we just did a appraisal on our house because we're trying to refinance because rates are good right now yeah and uh our home gained a hundred thousand dollars in value in two years which is kind of like great for us but it's a in my opinion seems like a really bad sign for the country you know like that that doesn't seem like a natural it, what it looks like to me is a real estate bubble and so here we are in this uh you know in this very like I, I'm not, I don't want to say hyperinflation, but where we could end up with hyperinflation, uh, but we're in an inflationary period and we might have a real estate bubble lurking underneath all of this. And then you add to that, the feds lowering the interest rate. And then right. on top of all of that, you've been pushing off staying these mortgages um, since, you know, through the whole COVID thing. So you might end up with a whole bunch of defaults on a market that's already in a, in a bubble scenario. Like this thing could be, it could be a time bomb, you know, uh, and no one's talking about it. And you know, I'm just some dumb horse trainer in Idaho. What the heck do I know? But it looks pretty bad to me. And, you know, I, I remember the last, housing bubble and recession and that really sucked you know um i don't know i'm really worried that we're doing that again and i know that there's like not a whole heck of a lot you can do for that while you're in the middle of a primary but i think voters you know maybe just educating voters on some of this stuff could be worthwhile worthwhile because like to your point earlier if we were able to get and i know it will never happen but just you know put the pressure on people to uh sort of push a bill through that said kate single issue bills only that's it you know like if, if you could get that one thing done that would be that would change the country you know you get like two pieces of paper max to explain your bill there you go <laughs> and, yeah and at the bottom at the bottom you put the price yeah you know, like, <laughs> that, there you I, go i'd say one page but i guess you know if there's a lot of co-signers so maybe we could be you know be generous and, and give them two pages but yeah no i think you're i think you're right like you don't have to be an economist to see what, what's going on right now. I mean, like we locked down the economy and, and seriously crippled it. You know, if not, we, we definitely put some fatal wounds in there in the economy. There's industries that probably are straight up just not going to come back. Mm -hmm. And then we have continued borrowing. So we're not we're not producing as much as we used to. We've killed off a lot of the economy. We're continuing to borrow, you know, we're continuing to borrow and inflate our own currency. I mean, that's like the the recipe for the stagflation issues we had back before I think most of us were born. Um, that really screwed over our economy in the seventies. And it took us a while to dig out of that. So like we're, but like right now the the conditions are even worse because you have, we have more national debt. So there's less, you know, um, investors are less likely to buy our bonds. And then we have, and then we're not producing as much as we used to. And then right now I don't, I don't see anything that Joe Biden and the Democrats are doing to stimulate the economy other than 
stimulus payments, which is just printing more money, which devalues the currency. So like, I, I don't feel like you need to have an economics degree at all just to see that we're in really bad shape, you know? Um, but again, the Democrats just keep, they keep the hype machine going and they've got everybody hooked to do so. And which I think back to your Cernovich point, I, I do think it's intentional, man. I, I think that maybe they either want to, because the more drastic and bad things get, the more control the government can, can take. And COVID just showed them that, man, unfortunately people are, you know, they're actually pretty, uh, pretty easy to trick into submitting control to the government way more so than I thought I, this year has been insane with how, how quickly people will just say, Oh, okay. Well, if I do, if that's the recommendation, I'll do it. Yeah. It's, it terrified me. I completely, I completely agree. I, I mean, it was in a lot of ways, the scariest thing, like what uh, you say is way worse than you thought. Same for me. It was, it, it honestly made me nervous because I, I never would have thought uh, that my generation would, uh, you know, be this cowardly. And that is the right word, you know, because ultimately with these lockdowns, if businesses, enough businesses would have just flipped the middle finger, then the government can't do anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen, uh, I've seen a handful of businesses here in my district that had some good leadership, good entrepreneurs who were like, I'm done, man. Like I, I gave you guys the whatever 15 days to flatten the curve. And then I gave you another month or two. And so like around, Last summer, they said, screw it, and they opened back up, and they're, and they're doing well. But, I mean, I, I thought it would have – I just thought it would have been so much more, man, especially, like, the restaurant and bar industry, which has pretty much been smoked by this whole COVID thing. Yeah. I Every time I've been into a restaurant, the handful of times I've been in the last year, I'm just like, man, I, it's sad because you see that they're, you know, whatever, you're sitting people at every other table, the bars are empty, you know, like, how many millions of dollars – that these people were just that they had taken from them. And I, I just can't believe there's not more of them that are just aren't absolutely defiant right now. Well, this, I, I totally agree. And this brings me to a point that I bring up all the time. Um, the West and the way uh, the sort of the, the, the traditional Western culture and Western spirit has been the one segment that I have seen that has bucked this thing from day one. Like we were going to rodeos in you know the heat of all this covid stuff and they were just packed in there no one's maybe maybe like three people wearing masks or something and i don't care if people wear a mask but these people all just said screw you we're not doing that um and just went on and lived their thing you know live their life and and if you look it shows up like the rodeos who did what they were supposed or you know uh what I think they were supposed to do and just went on are doing fine this year. And the handful of ones that didn't was a very, very small amount, you know, they're struggling. Same thing with sales and all this. So when I think of what we can do in the West or uh, in Congress with people like you is just bring that, that sort of spirit and drive and all that, you know, cause out here it's, you know, there's those uh, libertarians have them that anarcho cowboyism that they talk about. It's like, yeah. You know, it's an interesting, funny thing that, you know, to me is a pipe dream. But anyway, I, I like the spirit of it because that really okay. is what, you know, how this country was made, particularly in the West. So we need like a bunch more of that. And uh, Gail, uh, the lady who her and her husband started this network, she she's a she's big time into the rodeo scene and barrel horses and all this stuff. And she did this really cool thing. Uh where she took, you know, fallen people, you know, KAA people, and she had their dog tags worn during the national finals rodeo during runs and stuff is like a, you know, salute. And, and, um, she Shannon's was one of them that she did. And I had known, you know, we had talked before and I knew that Shannon rode horses a little bit, but I did not know. Uh, I guess I just did not realize to the extent, the extent to which that was a part of her life. Um, 
so yeah, it was a big, big part of her life, uh, especially growing up. I mean, she grew up um, upstate New York. So there's a pretty big polo community of, uh, I'd say, like well-off folks that come out of the city to, to play polo. So she she worked as a, a polo hand. That was kind of how she fell in love with horses because basically they'd let her, I think they'd pay her a little bit to take care of the horses, but then she got to ride them um, mm-hmm. to kind of keep the horses fit. And so she, I think from middle school on, she worked out at the polo ranch and then even went down to Argentina um because there was a lot of a lot of the really good i guess nationally or worldwide uh polo players come from argentina so she went down there that's where she learned spanish um worked on a, a polo ranch and just outside of buenos aires and then uh continued she had a horse on her uh at her house her parents lived on some lived on some land they got her a horse eventually and so her and her sister kind of grew up uh grew up in stables really just raising horses that was really cool and then you know because of who we are it's just need to make that that connection you know um so that spirit's got to be in there somewhere you know um it is man yeah first son's name named colt so we that was the name we agreed on like i i hadn't ridden a ton of horses um but i carried a colt 45 a lot kind of a kind of a fun <laughs> thing but i carried a colt 45 a little bit in, in combat so i was like colt's a badass name she's like, yeah. so cool. it's like it's a gun and it's a horse and we we're like sold <laughs> <laughs> absolutely that is so neat man i didn't know that you packed one over there that's pretty awesome yeah, fifth group had a. I think SF had a was on a, a 1911 craze for a little bit there because there was the whole like ah, isn't this is the 1911 or the M9 does it have enough stopping power? That whole debate that was yeah. roaring hot in the 2000s, and so we uh, we got Wilson Combat uh, 1911s, and then we had some Kimbers. So that was that was before SOCOM bought off on the Glocks. So there was like two or three years there where guys had guys were tricking out their their 1911s. That's pretty dang cool, man. That's yeah. very cool. Well, um, I, we're going to have to have you back on. I actually talked to Dave about this before I even talked to you, but uh, now I really got to talk to you again because there's so many, <laughs> there's so much to hit on. Um, half of your state wants to become Idahoans. Uh, I know, man. I know. <laughs> there's a lot. To, so we got to, if you're, if you're up for it, we got to do this again. Dude, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Thanks for tell everybody where to find you and how to support you. Yeah, you can go to Joe Kent for Congress, the FOR Congress dot um, com. And then on there, there's a there's a donate, obviously, and everybody's donations because um, this is a, a war for resources. So I can get into D.C. and disrupt stuff. But I also have all the links to my social media on there. And then I have a, a tab that has all my stances on the various issues. And then there's a way you can email me directly on there. So appreciate awesome. it, man. OK, thanks, brother. We'll talk to you again real soon. All right, man. Take care. See you. All right, that's it for the first episode. Uh, go support Joe. Guy's absolutely awesome. I think he's going to do great things for our country. This uh, this is the first podcast we've done. We're going to try to get better at this as we go, and we're not going to focus on politics all the time. Uh, I just wanted to get Joe on here because we're like-minded. And, uh, yeah, it, so what I need you guys to do, here's what I need. I need some support. You guys have been awesome to me so far, and I hope you will continue to support the, podca- or, uh, support the podcast like you have uh, my other adventures. Um, but what I need is I need at least 30 reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all these places where you uh, get these pod- this podcast because that's going to boost us in the algorithm. It'd be better if we could get 100, um, but rate and review this thing. I know everyone tells you to do that, but for us, especially as a startup show, it would be a huge, huge help. So the most important thing you could do for us is rate and review this thing and tell your friends about it because podcasts still spread by word of mouth. 
the next episode, we're going to have my friend Brendan O'Reilly on, and we're going to talk about culture and manhood and what it's like growing up in Australia and fighting in the UFC and doing all kind of cool crap. So jump in on that one too, and I'll see you all next time. Thank you. <laughs>